for me to spend 10 years getting to know John and Naomi and all that God has done in their life. And it's just been wonderful to walk alongside them and see them firstly come into a relationship with Jesus. I remember the day that we baptised John, you know, it was awesome. We had a big bathtub down the front here and... um, and Naomi was like at church for one of the very first times, you know, and she was like, what's going on, you know? <laughs> and we just told her, come down here and get involved in John's baptism, you know? So we had her lay hands on John as we baptized John. And she was just like, from that moment on, she was just like, you know, Jesus started to come alive for her as well. And then anyway, she found, found a relationship with Jesus. And it's been an amazing, exciting journey watching John and Naomi grow. And um, and I'm really, really pleased to, um, you know, just acknowledge all of the, um, you know, um, for the last 10 years, this guy, well, not f- for all of those 10 years, but not probably eight of them at least, you know, after John came to me and he said, I really feel this burning in my heart of love for the church. And it was something that God was beginning to put into John. And he was trying to figure it out and discover it. And, you know, he's had to push like, I wouldn't know how many acres of concrete all over Brisbane ever since that moment when he said, I want to pursue what you're putting in my life, Jesus. Ten years of every day up at silly hours before the sun comes up, traveling to random parts of Brisbane and pouring concrete in buildings and people's driveways, all at the same time, studying, asking the Lord, you know, he started a Bachelor of Ministry and, well, no, yeah, theology, Bachelor of Theology, and he's, he's still trucking through that and pushing through that. But it's just like when God gets a hold of someone and has a call on their life, and we all do, You'll push concrete for 10 years to walk in it, to walk in the calling that God's given you. You'll push concrete for 10 years. You'll do it. Such is the power of the call of God upon a person's life when they say, yes, Lord. And so, you know, I just think it's been awesome to watch now. And, and, and this is an illustration and this is an example. John's life is an example to us of the story of Jesus upon a person's life that we can learn from and should pay attention to. And now, after 10 years of pushing concrete faithfully and yet at the same time crying out, Oh God, where would you put me? How would you use me? And serving faithfully, locally, in the local church, just all digs, all in. And then that Lord says, John, I see your faithfulness. It's now time for me to put you somewhere else. Such is God's love for our life. Nothing is wasted. Not one of those 10 years of pushing concrete has been wasted in God shaping the person to follow the calling and to do the work of Jesus. So I am having a bit of a brag here on JB, but I think it's warranted. I think it's warranted because it's a story of the love of God. And I'm really just pleased that no longer is he like a, um, the relationship here is changing from being, you know, 
teach a student to peer. And he far out, out exceeds me in many ways in terms of his capacity to think theologically and even in moving in the things of the Holy Spirit. I'm now learning from him. And it's a real, it's a joy. It's a real joy. And I, I'm praying that the Lord would give us like a thousand more people just like JB and Nay that we can raise up and send out of this place to extend the kingdom of God. So let's pray for John as he teaches us right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the generosity of your leading and presence on John's life. Thank you for the power of your Bible. As we open it, it speaks to us. Life and freedom and brings us into a whole new way of living. And we welcome the power of the word preached this morning. Let Jesus come alive. Let John be edified and let the people be glad. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With an intro like that, though, I'd better be good, eh? <laughs> oh, dear. Nay has just landed in Melbourne, so that's um, always makes me feel better. Uh, okay. This, uh, this year, we've been working through three pillars, and we're going to see how good everybody's memory is, because the first pillar, that's pretty easy. We've been working that for six months. That's identity. Uh, that's identity. <laughs> Oh dear. Identity. Anybody remember the second one? No one? Purpose. In the third? Family. Right. Okay, good. Now that we've reviewed that, that's good. Um, we're spending a lot of time on identity. Um, we're going we're gonna to do that, but what I, what I want to do this morning is I want to look through uh, a piece of scripture that I, I really love in, uh, in Luke's Gospel. Uh, right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, and um, really in, in the middle of this is, uh, is what we would call the, the thesis statement of Jesus, as he gets into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah. And, um, but what I want to do is I want to have a look at a, a, a progression and a, a story that, that's in there that um, I think often we, we could probably read mechanically, but there's so much in there and it, it, it really excites me. So I'm going to have a look at that. But um, for probably the last nearly 20 years now, uh, one of the things that I've loved doing is weight training. On and off, mostly on. Um, it was off for a little bit once Nay and I got married and I took a bit of a break. But I, I really love getting in the gym and throwing some, some weight around. It's, I, I'm one of those sick people that enjoy that sort of thing and enjoy that sort of pain um, I can remember, <laughs> yeah, right, I might need, yeah, that's it, I might need some prayer for that. Um, I'm one of those sick people who used to really enjoy getting in, I don't train as hard as I used to anymore, but um, when we used to get in the gym and you push yourself so hard that you'd have to go outside and be sick, and it was, for some reason I enjoy that. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that uh, is, is really interesting to me is that the Christian life is a lot like weight training. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, when you, when you lift weights, there's, there's resistance. And you, muscle doesn't get built without resistance. And when we're living this Christian life, we grow in the presence of resistance. Not always, but it will be there. And we, we grow in that place. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to have a look at 
uh, a time in Jesus' life when he has an incredible encounter with his father and then he's thrust in the middle of resistance. And the story that comes through this and where he ends up and what it speaks to us today. Because I think that there's a lot in it. Because firstly, it starts with identity. It pushes through the resistance to ultimately find purpose. And it's not that purpose must be found in the context of resistance, because I think that uh, the very nature of the battle is just symptomatic of living life rather than a, a must for the Christian. It's, uh, it's just it's symptomatic. We, we don't have a choice. Whether you follow Jesus or not, we're in the context of battle. We live in enemy territory, and that's just unfortunately the way things are. But for us, knowing Jesus, it's a little bit different. So, let's read this book. Luke, the third chapter, uh, verse 21. If we want to start there, we're going to see where we get to. Let's start reading. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Okay, we're going to skip the genealogy. Is that okay? Everybody okay with that? Just because it gets a bit repetitive. There's some really good stuff in the genealogies. Okay, there is some really good stuff there, but it's going to take me way too long to go through it. So we, we skip the genealogy. We're starting in chapter 4. Uh, okay, chapter 4. Jesus then, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give, I will give, all, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If so, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him, up, led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus then returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, synagogues and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to reclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled, the, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. 
Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to him, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. As I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was clean, cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when he said this, when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath to begin and began teaching the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on him. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not, let, not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out into a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. What a wonderful little bit of a story. I, I love that. Okay, we're going to go all the way back though. Back to the beginning when Jesus is baptized. Now, one of the things I said before about um, sometimes we can get caught reading mechanically, what I meant by that is we just kind of read it without actually engaging with the text. Now, one of the things I want to encourage everybody to do, because uh, it's something I do a lot, is when you read the Bible, ask it questions. Ask it, why did that happen? What's that all about? I wonder why that was the way it was. It's a very, very healthy thing to do. But one of the things that pops out for me as I read this text, as we, as we start here with, with Jesus' baptism, is why did Jesus need to get baptized? It's a baptism of repentance, isn't it? Jesus was sinless. Why would Jesus need to go, feel the need to go and get baptized? Now, it is a baptism of repentance. But what we need to understand is that when people went down into the water, as John was baptizing them, it wasn't the actual act of the baptism that was repentance. Repentance was happening beforehand. The baptism itself is the grafting into the coming messianic kingdom. The repentance that happens beforehand leads us into that place of confirming, of going, you know what, God, 
this is all about you. I'm sorry for the way that I've been living my life and I choose now to orientate my heart towards your coming kingdom. And so this is the work that was going on in people's hearts before they came to John or as they came to John. And then as he put them in the water, it was the confirmation of that act, the confirmation of their repentance and the grafting into the coming messianic kingdom. Make sense? But why did Jesus need to do that? As Jesus comes and as Jesus is baptized, it doesn't really answer the question, does it? It's cool, but it doesn't answer the question. As, as Jesus comes, sorry, I, I, I read a quote by a guy called um, Alfred Edishon. Some of you guys might know his name. He's a, 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 I love his stuff. He wrote a book called The Lives and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It was a brilliant book. And um, anyways, he, um, he wrote this about, the, about John's baptism. He wrote, uh, the submersion in water identified the person with the coming messianic kingdom. That's what I just said. So this is the, this is the idea of baptism. Now when Jesus comes at that point of baptism, forever, time is split in half. The age of the law and the prophets ends at that point and the age of the preaching of the kingdom of God begins. The, the ages are split at that point. It's an it's a, it's a incredible turning point. Right at that point, the law and the prophets end. The age of the law and the prophets end and the age of the preaching of the kingdom begins. And so as Jesus is baptized, we see the confirmation of that act, not only the confirmation of that act, but in Jesus, he's coming and he, as he gets baptized, he's saying, this is me. Not only am I the Messiah, but I'm going to walk this out in the same way as the people expect of the coming of the kingdom. I'm going to walk this out in trust and in obedience. A guy called John Piper, he says this about, uh, about Jesus' baptism. Jesus' coming to be baptized was a decisive step of commitment to begin his public ministry. Thus he aligns himself with the people who turn from sin and trust God and resolve to fulfill his calling in that spirit. So Jesus is aligning himself with those who would come to repentance. He's aligning himself with the people. And he's saying, these are my people. These are the people that I've come for and these are the people of the kingdom. Now the next thing that I kind of look, I, I read and I go, well that, it's nice, but I wonder why, is why did the Holy Spirit come and descend on Jesus like a dove? Why a dove? The kingdom of God is this amazing reality. The rule and reign of God is this amazing reality. Surely a, a bird like an eagle might have been a bit more appropriate. You know, something that's majestic and yet powerful and strong. Surely maybe an eagle or a, or a, or a hawk or something. Um, it might just be me. I might be the only, who, only person who thinks like this. But when I read things, I go, I wonder why it was like that. But there's something really important and interesting because this, this is the first time as, as the ages are split in two, this is the first time where the triune God is revealed. The triune God is revealed at this point for the first time in the splitting of the ages where we see Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Father's about to speak soon. But we see Father, Son and Holy Spirit all revealed in one, one event, one time. And so the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove the dove, gentleness, purity, meekness. 
it's also common. It's the kind of bird that in the, in the, in the law was there for people who, who were poor, if they couldn't afford the bigger sacrifices, they could come and bring a dove. And so this, in all of it, is representative as, as the Spirit comes in as, as a dove, not only is it is representative of the gentleness and the, the love of God as His kingdom is about to advance with love and the gentleness of that, but it's also representative of the fact that it's for everyone. It's for everyone. No one is excluded from this. No one. It's a fully inclusive event as the Spirit of God, as a dove, descends on Jesus. And then the Father speaks. The voice from heaven and the Father speaks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this into what I, what I want to call the four A's. Okay, the four A's. And the four A's are adoption, adoration, acceptance, and approval. As the Father speaks, these four things are spoken over Jesus, are spoken over him and, and, and of him and declared of him. And these four things, adoption, adoration, acceptance, and approval. Adoption, you are my son. The, the Greek literally says, you are the son of me. You know, that I, I come from my, my family, my dad's family are, are, are Maltese, and one of the things he said, the flesh of my flesh, the blood of my blood. My grandparents used to say it all the time. Literally, that's what, that's what the father is saying. You are my son. And so there's, there's family, there's intimacy, there's belonging, there's a sense of connection that, um, that is an, an adoption that's pronounced over Jesus. That's my, you are my son. The next thing is adoration. Whom I love. Again, the, the Greek is just the word Beloved. It's the word agapetos. And agapetos is, is not a derivative word. Okay, I'm going to try and explain this as best I can. In Greek, there are root words, and then there are derivative words. This is a root word. So it doesn't come back to agapea or ag agape. Agape, if you, however you want to pronounce it. It doesn't come back. It's a word that stands alone, and it literally means beloved. Beloved, dear one. Get this, this is what it really means in this context. Worthy of love. Worthy of love. As the Father speaks over the Son, He says, You are my Son, worthy of love. And then acceptance and approval. Acceptance and approval. With you, I am well pleased. You've you got to remember, at this point, Jesus hadn't done anything. He was just a chippy from a hick town up north. He just built tables and stuff. You know, he, he was just an ordinary kind of guy at that point. He was a very special guy. But he hadn't, he hadn't done the great things that we read in the Bible yet. He hadn't done any of that stuff yet. He just showed up to get baptized. And the father says to him, with you I am well pleased. The, uh, the Greek word is, is eudokesa. And eudokesa um, means to consent or approve. Um, but it also means to take delight and pleasure in. 
the father takes delight and pleasure in his kids. He hadn't done anything. The father takes delight and pleasure in his kids. Now, you might say, well, that was really nice for Jesus. But what has that got to do with me? Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. This is for us too. This is for us too. The Father speaks the same words over you and I that he spoke over Jesus that very day. The same words. And he speaks them over us. We are adopted. We are adored. We are accepted. We are approved. We are adored. You are worthy of love. Hear that. You are worthy of love. You don't have to do anything to be worthy of love because you are worthy of love. You were created that way and you didn't mess it up. You were created that way. You are worthy of love and you are accepted and approved. Did you know that the Father's pleased with you? Did you know that the Father takes pleasure in you? And you might go, yeah, but you don't know how messed up I am. Well, he does. And he still takes pleasure in you. It's like me with my girls. You know, anybody who saw Abigail, she was tearing around this place and she got cake everywhere. I'm still pleased with her. I couldn't be... Now, the moment that she was born, that both her and Zoe were born and I held them in my arms, I was so pleased. I took the greatest delight and pleasure in them. And that continues today. But that continues in the context of my relationship with them. There's a big, well, not a big move, but there's, there's a move within the church that is wanting to tell us that you don't need to do anything more to be any more pleasing to the Father and that you shouldn't do anything more because that's works-based legalism. You know what? That robs us of the joy that the Father takes in us. And the pleasure that he takes in us, that robs us of that and it robs him of that. And it grieves his heart. Because when we do get involved, we sung it before. Help me to live a life that pleases your heart. God is pleased with us and he also takes pleasure in us. This is the nature of the kingdom. It is now. It is coming. And it's not yet. He takes pleasure in us. But he doesn't just, it's not just this declaration over us for all time that we could never do anything else to please him. Well, that's just not true because that's not how a, father, a, a parent-child relationship works. Okay, I've only been doing this thing for five years and I've worked that out. Now, many of you have been doing this thing for a lot, a lot longer I mean that in a good way. <laughs> I could never be any more pleased with my children and yet they do things that just blows me away. And it could be the simplest thing, a little smile. Or when Abigail comes up and gives me a Hulk smash. It doesn't, it, it's, it's not important what it is. It's just that 
I take pleasure in them. And you know what? Our Father takes pleasure in us. And it might be the simplest thing, you know, when you give that word of encouragement to that person at work. That's a kingdom moment. As well as, and you know what? The thing that really annoys me about this, this move is it's cutting people off from the joy of serving the church. It's cutting people off from the joy of serving in the body of Christ. I have, this is the reason why I pushed concrete for 10 years. Because I love the church. I love serving in this place. I remember when I, I, I rang Kirk for the first time, I said, you know what, man, I can't just sit here anymore. I can't just, I want to do something. I want to be involved. And he said, okay, meet me at the church and we just set up the chairs. And we did that for a long time. And I took the greatest joy in it. You know what? My father did too. And I felt that. And when we, when we don't choose to engage, when we pull back, when we don't choose to engage like that and allow our identity to be confirmed in us, by the Father at those points. We rob Him and we rob ourselves. There is no greater joy than serving in the church. In whatever capacity that might be. Whether it's in serving the kids. You know, I have a great time coming down on Friday nights with, the, with reborn youth and hanging out with those guys. They're a crazy bunch of guys and girls. They're a wonderful bunch of people. And I have such great joy in hanging out with them and serving them. I don't do a lot anymore. I just kind of come and hang out. But it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I say all of that to say, if you're not involved, get involved. Because you're missing out. Not because oh, we do need hands. But it's not about that. It's about missing it. If you're not, you're just missing out. And it all flows out of our identity. It's not, uh, we don't, I don't surf because I have to. I don't surf because if I don't, God's going to clip me across the back of the, the head or punish me. I serve because that's what God's doing. You know, one of the things I really love to do as a, as a dad is, is take my girls places. It might just be to the shop. You know, we just go on down to the shop to get some milk. And as soon as I go to walk out the door, no doubt it, there's either one or both of them. It's usually Abby, a bit of a daddy's girl. It's usually Abigail comes running up. I'm coming with you. Yeah, all of that stuff, when we get to serve, we're doing it with the Father because that's what the Father's already doing. And so we get to join Him in doing that. But you know, it, it would be really nice just to camp out in the identity stuff. Just to spend the rest of... Well, that's how we're going to spend the rest of eternity. But right now, it's, it's not that way. It'd be really nice just to camp out in all the nice, warm... Like worship just before. Wouldn't that be great? We just live forever in that place. And one day we will. Where the presence of God feels so near and close. But you know, the reality is, is that we, we have to live life in enemy territory. So we have to live life there. I need to get moving. We have to live life there. And we, we use a word called pushback. Now, 
whenever we have these wonderful experiences that we that like Jesus had here, and many of you, I, I hope that every single one of us knows those experiences, those ex- experiences of encounter, of intimacy with 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 God that just so transform our hearts and and inform our hearts as to who He is. Um, but isn't it amazing that when we have those experiences, inevitably we walk out and we get hit. There's pushback. The enemy pushes back. This is what's happening for Jesus. Now, one of the really important things we need to remember is that this was a really important story to Jesus. So important that he made sure he, it was told so that it ended up in here. Nobody was there. This is not an eyewitness report of him getting thrust out into the desert. No one was there. It was just him. So I can kind of imagine Jesus around the campfire sipping a few coffees after ministry and, they, and he, he's telling the disciples this. Look guys, it's going to happen. You're going to get pushback. And for many of us right now in this room, we feel like we're stuck in the middle of that. Actually, you know the word, the word tempted here literally means to be attacked. It literally means to be attacked. Jesus went out and he was attacked by the enemy, by the devil. And so he made sure that this story was told so that we would know that. So that we, uh, well his disciples first off, but so they could pass the story down. So that we could understand that at our highest of heights of encounter with, with, with our Father, with the triune God, that when pushback comes, he wants to show us how to deal with it. Let's have a quick look at that. Okay. It's often said that Jesus beat the devil with Scripture and his knowledge of Scripture. You know what? I think that that's a, a, a very ordinary reading of the text. Because, yeah, it, it, on face value, it looks like Jesus defeats the, defeats the devil with Scripture. But what's actually happening here is he's using Scripture, but it's coming out of relationship. And he uses Scripture to back up where he's standing, to, to back up his, his, his position. Okay, he's not using, it's not a to and fro sort of a blow for blow sort of a, sort of a deal. We don't, we don't get into this book and, and understand and learn this book in order to trade blow for blow with the devil. That would be a very foolish thing to do. This book, the whole purpose of reading it and the reason I'm so passionate about it and love it so much is because it tells me who my God is. And at the same time of telling me who my God is, it tells me who I am in the middle of all of that. Okay, and so to, to say that Jesus just used scripture to, to beat the enemy, actually, it, it actually doesn't do justice to what's going on. Because Jesus is standing on the encounter that he's just had. He's standing on the, on the, the declaration of the Father over him and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as he's, as he's in that confrontation. Okay, I, Let's just quickly move through. I, I want to give you an example of this. So the devil comes to Jesus and he says, he's hungry. I would be too. I can't go 40 minutes without eating, let alone 40 days. So I, I don't know how people do the 40-day thing. That's, in, that's insane. Um, so 40 days. I'd be hungry too. 
Okay, but then the devil rocks up and goes, you know what, you're supposed to be the son of God, aren't you? Isn't that who you are? Didn't, aren't you the one who said, let there be light? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Isn't that who you are? Well, if that's who you are, why don't you just tell that stone to be bread and be done with it? Jesus is out there for a reason. For commune with his Father and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need that food. If he needs that food, his Father will provide it. And so he says, you know what? I don't need that. I'm going to trust my Father to provide. And so he says, God does, man doesn't live by bread alone. The next thing the devil does is he shows him all of the wealth and the, the splendor of the kingdoms of the world. A bit of that going on around today, isn't there? All of it. And he says, you know what? You can have it all if you just worship me. The counterfeit kingdom of darkness, of the enemy. It looks like all this wonderful stuff. And he says, you know what? You can have it if you just worship me. And Jesus says, what do I want to do that for? My father's kingdom that he's about to give to me, his rule and reign supersedes all of that. I don't need that. I worship my God and my God alone. Do you see the difference? It sounds like a to and fro, but it's really not. It's coming out of this deep, intimate place of knowing who his father is, knowing who he is, and, and just walking that out and, as the rub, as the, as the attack of the enemy comes. And so, I'm not going to keep going. So, and so when the enemy comes and he wants to try and throw all that stuff on you, one of the good ones is, oh my God, how are we going to pay the bills? Know that one? Oh God, what am I going to do? What, what, what would happen if I, I lost my job? Oh, what if this? What if that? Does any of this sound familiar? This is the words, I'm not going to say it's the words of the devil because that gives him too much credence. He's just a fallen angel. It's all of his other little mates that run around. The enemy wants to try and tell us that doom and gloom is coming or if we fix our eyes on something else, we'll find satisfaction. If you just have the new iPhone... By the way, I heard the new iPhone 6 is going to be waterproof. That's pretty cool. But... Yeah, well, I don't have to do that anymore, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Not if you drop it. Yeah, I do drop it a lot. But the iPhone 6 isn't going to make me happy. And if I put my trust there, and see, that, that's what the whole world structure is, is, is set up like this. It wants to try and entice us to put our trust and our faith somewhere else. But when our relationship is firm on our identity, that doesn't, that, that doesn't wash. And we can stand and we can go, I don't need that. What do I need that for? The kingdom of my God is at hand. And I find my sense of life and purpose in my identity there. Get it? Okay, last thing. We're going to move real quick now. No, I don't want that. Okay. So the next thing is, after all of that, oh, sorry, this is the good news too. Once, it says, once the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left. If you find yourself in that place of attack, it's going to end. It's going to end. So it's okay. I just felt to mention that. But as soon as it ends, Jesus then comes back into Galilee, and do you read what it said? 
He comes back in the power of the Spirit. How good is that? See, at the other end of the attack, we come out in the power of the Spirit. This is the weight training thing. Make sense? Now, I'm not saying that this is good, because to be honest, it sucks. When, when we get it, it's not a good thing to be attacked. But the good thing is, is that when we stand on our identity and we stand on who God is, we will find purpose as we come out the other end of that because we'll come out in the power of the Spirit. Now, that's good news. Now, as Jesus comes out in, in the power of the Spirit, he, he starts to preach this wonderful message. And everybody loves it. They go, hey, this guy's great and his words are so gracious. It's really nice. And then he upsets everyone. And he upsets everybody because he turns around and he says, you know what? This is for everyone. You've got to read into the text. This is for everyone. And you know what? You guys are actually probably going to reject me. But this is for everyone. And they get real upset with him. And then all of a sudden, he goes, he goes out of that place and he starts the ministry of the kingdom. In the power of the Spirit, he starts to cast out demons and he starts to heal the sick. Now this is part and parcel of kingdom life. This is a given. This is what happens for the follower of Jesus. As you come out in the power of the Spirit and you move in the power of the Spirit, through your identity, even if you've come through the attack, you, this is part and parcel of it. We heal the sick, we cast out demons. And we, we didn't do it in that little part, but we raise the dead. Part and parcel. But that's not it. That's not all of it. That's not the whole story. That's just... Now, we value this so highly in the vineyard. If, you, if you're just visiting here, this is something that we value highly. We teach people to cast out demons. We teach people to heal the sick. It's something that we truly value. And yet there's still more than that. Because it, this, is not only, this is for everybody... And that's inclusive. So, for David, you're called to cast out demons and heal the sick. Trent is called to cast out demons and heal the sick. And yet David and Trent have very different callings of their life, on their lives in terms of the ministry of Jesus. Does that make sense? Every single one of you in this room has a ministry of Jesus to be involved in. Every single one of you. This is not for the elite. This is not for the special people. I'm proof of that alone. But every single one of you has a ministry in the ministry of Jesus. It's not our ministry. Wimber used to say, you know, people would come to him and say, oh, can you pray for me so I can line up what my ministry is? And he'd say, I could pray from now until kingdom come and it ain't going to happen because you don't have one. It's Jesus' ministry. We just get to be part of it. And every single one of you has a part to play. It would be remiss of me to leave this place and not say that. Again. Because there are untapped wells of the ministry of Jesus sitting in these chairs right now. Untapped. And my encouragement to you is to just do it. Just get involved. You know what? God has placed passions in your heart. He's placed talents in your hands. 
If you're not sure how to use those passions and those talents, you've got a wonderful leadership team in this place that will help you do that. That'll help you point those passions and those talents for the glory of Christ in the earth and so that this area, this wonderful area of Pine Rivers will be changed. And it's not anything, it's, it's just who you are. It's your identity in Jesus. The wonderful talents, the wonderful passions that he's placed in your heart can all be used in partnership with him, with the church, for the purposes of God. Identity, family, purpose. And it's all there. It's all here, ready to go. If you're in a place where you feel like you're being attacked, that's okay. You can still serve. And you can still come out the other end of that in the power of the Spirit. That's what the church is for. The amount of times I've been this close to walking away. And one of you wonderful people has clipped me over the ear and said, come on back. Because I need a clip over the ear. Some of us don't. I do. I need a good clip sometimes. The rule of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the enemy is ending. It's ending. And the preaching of the kingdom of God is here and at hand. This is the age that we live in. This is the age that we live in. And so, people of Vineyard Pine Rivers, you are the church. You are the church of Jesus. You are the holders of the rule and reign of God in your relationship with Him. It's time to start doing something about it. It's time to start doing something about it. I don't know what that looks like for you and I'm not going to try and presume. But it's time to get busy because there's a whole swag of people out there who don't know how good it is to be in relationship with him. They don't, they don't know. And they're being attacked without knowing they're being attacked. And you and I, just simply through our talents, through our passions, can make a difference. The young people showed that last week as they spent the night out there and raised 1200 bucks. Because you know what? God is not okay with the way things are, to quote the wonderful preacher, Caitlin Delaney. God is not okay with the way things are. Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fill this place and flood the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. Spirit of God, as you descended upon Jesus and you confirmed and affirmed who he was, 
in his adoption, your adoration towards him, your approval of him and your acceptance of him. Right now, Holy Spirit, come and do that for us. Come and do that for us. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare you children of God. I declare you the beloved, worthy of love of God. And I declare that Jesus, that God, the Father in heaven, is well pleased with you and he takes delight and pleasure in you. And in the name of Jesus, I tell every lying spirit that is opposed to that truth, you be silent right now and you let the kingdom come. For we are the church. Come Holy Spirit.